I was raised by the wolves. I was raised by the wolves. I was raised by the wolves. Eight twenty four. Alright folks, we're back with another episode of Red White Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin, here with Will and our special guest, James Henderson from IPSInsidePackSports.com. James, how you doing? What's up, guys? Man, appreciate you having me back on. As always, Will, how are you doing? Doing great. I see you got that fade-in worked out. Ah, <laughs> uh, working on it. It's a <laughs> got to trust the process. Trust the process. James, I want to start with this question that is burning since last night. Everybody's been asking me, what is James's reaction to the Dave Clawson to Illinois rumors. Uh-oh. Yeah. It will. Picking up steam. Is it? Like, I haven't seen. Um, I know you've sent me a, a text with, with him being mentioned for, but is it is it a possibility? Like, is this? It's a real possibility from from what the, the internets are saying. Dave Clawson. Well, I mean, it, make, it makes sense for him, I think. I mean, like, you know, you can, he's, he's always been a guy who seems to kind of jump around, I thought, at least prior to wait, but. Look, cash in, right? I mean, like, I don't know. I don't know like, what else. I mean, he did still manage to keep his streak alive of no above 500 records in the ACC. <laughs> no more. I mean, he, he, he found a way. Although I, I got a little worried, man, to be honest with you, because somehow Wake found a way to have Notre Dame and Miami replaced by Florida State and Louisville down here the last right. few weeks of the season. So I was thinking he may he may sneak in, but, but you know, my guy Satterfield, he helped me out there. He helped me out this past weekend. To, to, but do you – I mean, I'm all, obviously I'm joking, but do you not think that it's, it's hilarious how – it hasn't been this way for me, man. You guys, I'm sure, will remember this. Do you remember how much a lot of state fans seem to love Ron Wellman? Oh, yes. God. Yes, he's so respected. Like, like yeah. and it was like, real, like, why? And maybe it was because he was being compared or he was there at the same time as, as Fowler for the most part. But – it was just, there was this, and I'm like, it's Wake, it's Wake Forest, right? like, okay, um, but I, like, I, I, some there's some respectability there, or some semblance of that to me, with Clawson and, and and Wellman with some state fans that is just like, yeah, he's been fine, but man, we seem to really love other schools' coaches. I don't, I don't understand it. I think with Clawson is because he's given us some fits at times. I think that's that's probably. <laughs> That's probably it. Right. People want to see him gone, I think, for sure. But. Yeah, I mean, he ha- he has, um, but, you know, I, I don't know. I guess I- I'm-, I'm probably one of the rare uh, state graduates or-, or whatever you want to label us, like, and take away us covering them in- to any degree. But I don't really view state as on a high, much, much higher ceiling than Wake Forest to where I just generally think, that's a game where they can compete with NC State. Uh, and again, I, I, I guess I just I view it differently. So, like, I don't think, you know, him, like you said, giving State fits, I, I don't think that's too big of a surprise. Um, because, I mean, I don't know what – you guys may know the number of this. I, I, at one point, there was some stat where State had won, like, two times the last 20 years at Wake Forest or something crazy like that. Yeah, for a while they hadn't won. It was like 10 years. Uh, they ended that – Dorn into that streak – with the Matt, Matt Day's game ran for two hundred and something yards that game, I think right, it was twenty fifteen, right, twenty fifteen. So you figure that's yeah. that was definitely predating Clawson, right? Like so, right. Yeah. My point is kind of more. I, I mean, I just think Wake's generally almost kind of at least in recent years held their serve in in this series, you know. So, 
I think that comes back to expectations for yeah. state fans. Right. And you know, we, we were talking about this last week is that if you look historically at state's records, mm-hmm. they haven't been good like at all for more than a year at a time. And you know, they just haven't been that – there's no stability. So you're right with your expectations thinking that they are about with Wake Forest because historically they have been. I think Wake's actually had more successful. Right? They've won an ACC championship and – it, it's hard pill to swallow given the amount of resources state has, but it's I think it's a reality. But, but do you think that's the case for pretty much anybody outside of Clemson or Florida State in the league? Like, and what I mean by that is, you look at the last what is this four year stretch under Doran, where if they win a bowl game, they would have won what nine games in three out of the last four years. Like, I, I really wonder how many teams in the ACC have done that the last twenty five years. I mean, I don't know, 20, 25 years outside of the two powers in the country. Not many, right? Somebody somebody tweeted us a stat the other day that outside of um, Clemson, the only other school to finish in the top four in ACC in football over the last – at least twice over the last four years was NC State. I think that was Dave Doran who tweeted that out. Oh, <laughs> in the press conference. might have. Good job, Dave. Yeah. 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 <laughs> But, but, but I guess in so all like, seriousness, though, it's like this kind of I, – I don't know really if there's many programs in this league that are going to have – that have had sustained stability, right? You know, like – Right. Um, I don't know. I don't know why that is either. I, I'm not saying that is like an excuse or uh, like some endorsement of NC State at all right now. I, I just wonder why that is. It's – I mean, I well, think one thing that's sticking with people is in, in this run of success, what do we really have to show for it? You know, we've got draft picks and we've got the nine the nine wins in the seasons, right? But there's no hardware associated yeah, with it. That's very hard. Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't mean to cut you off. I just mean, like, when you look at it, you can win nine games, but if Clemson's winning 12, you're not getting oh, any yeah. hardware. Yeah, no, I don't yeah. agree. I think that's what, I think that's what, like, probably frustrates people. It's like, even right. when you're good, it's not going to be good enough. Right. No, I'm, I agree, and I think that's why you're hoping – if you're an NC State fan, you're hoping this new ACC commissioner will come in without UNC affiliations and and really look to kind of readjust these these divisions, and and maybe we've seen this year that, or the hope is that that a lot of people across the ACC have seen this year that you can exist without uh, divisions, which because because it's funny I know this is a COVID area era, but um, playing this year without divisions and and other other leagues are playing with divisions. Um, in the ACC appears to be on pace or on track to get two BCS bids. Would that be the first time? And I know one of them is obviously Notre Dame, but um, the points more you were able to do it even without the divisions. And so, I, you know, I, if I'm the commissioner, I think you got to listen to some of your schools, and because I guarantee a lot of the Atlantic schools are going to say, "Why not scrap these divisions and find a way to play teams more, and and then you can have other teams." you know, kind of compete for some sort of title, right? Um, yeah. Outside of just the Coastal and Clemson. D- does this, the- this year has been much more interesting with without the divisions. I don't know if it's because it's without the divisions, but it has definitely been more interesting, I think. D- does the commissioner have a play in that, James? Does I mean, or is it really just between the schools? Like, I mean, does, does the commissioner have well, a vote? I think the commissioner has a say in it. I can get, I can find out more information on that. I know it for the most part, it will come down to the schools, but I, I have heard that over the years, Swafford has been really hesitant to push it. You know, like 
Shocker. It's one thing to kind of it's one thing to kind of bring it up and just say, hey, you know, and you kind of look over at the, the petty Atlantic Division schools and say, hey, we've got to bring this up for these poor guys. But, it, it, you know, um, I'm sure your you coastal guys aren't going to vote for this. So let's bring this up right now. And that's always hilarious to me, man. It's like you read on Twitter where we're fans of the coastal schools will defend it and be like, well, the coastal's tougher because it's more balanced. And I'm like, yeah, it's amazing to me, though, that all the coastal schools don't ever vote to change it. Right. Like, right. So, yeah, I, I think but I do think if the commissioner can can push it and if you can have some evidence, like I said, I mean, maybe maybe what the ACC needs is bringing in Notre Dame to try and find a way to do it. Maybe the ACC needs to just see that you can still um, have, like I said, have two teams potentially get in one certainly and or maybe the league just needs to see that you need to play more teams more because I think that's the biggest issue with the current setup is there's no reason you should go to NC state and never play Duke. I mean, that makes zero sense to me, but you play Boston college every year, right? Like what kind of sense does that make? Um, so it doesn't make any sense. Speaking of the coastal, I'm not sure if you saw this Hendon hookers leaving Virginia tech. If you could have a game back this past season, which one would it be? I could have a game back. I, I would probably say Miami for me. Yeah. Uh, and the reason the reason I say that is I really think I, I don't know the numbers. I think I saw Derek King had 400, 105 touchdowns, which I think yeah. was maybe the second time anyone's ever done that ever, <laughs> ever. And you needed that to win by three and come back from a ten point deficit. Like I, right. I, I think if State played Miami ten times at home, they'd win that game seven times. So. If it was me, I'd rather have that game back. Not to mention the the, the magnitude of it now when you look back on it. I mean, NC right. State wins that game and sweeps out. They're probably ahead of Carolina and Miami right now in these little BCS rankings or whatever. I think. I mean, some people disagree with me and think that Carolina gets bumped up. I don't necessarily view it like that. I just think that if State was sitting here at 9-2 and two with wins over Miami and, and Liberty, I mean, I think they would have already – had reached that level to where they wouldn't have fallen, if that makes sense. Um, but I, I do think that's the one game for me, just just because even with the Virginia Tech game, you know, not having Wilson and Engel, I mean, hurt, and then the Carolina game was just the timing was so bad, playing them right after not playing, right after losing Leary. I mean, it just wasn't set up right. Whereas the Miami game, I just felt like State gave that game away. I mean, it's, you know, which is it's rare. You rarely lose a game. You're up ten in the fourth quarter, so it is what it is. Go ahead, Will. Uh, as far as which game I would want back? Oh, you were going to say something. I didn't want to interrupt. Oh, no. I don't even know. Uh, you guys are getting unhinged, Will, right now. So when you, you know, just, just track, your, track your beam me into whatever conversation you need. <laughs> All right. Well, well speaking of uh, successful years, we've beaten the drum for Dave Dorn to be coach of the year. Did you see the Yahoo piece? And Will and I talked about this last night, but did you see the Yahoo piece where they had two two writers and they voted for Coach of the Year for each of the conferences and their selections were Mac Brown and Brian Kelly? I saw it. Um, and, and I, you know, Brian Kelly, I don't have a problem with at all, um, really. I mean, I think it's him or Dorn at this point. Mac Brown's just a joke. Um, I, I don't know what that guy – like eh, – um, <laughs> it's a sometimes universal you feeling feel, on this pod, James. Yeah, sometimes you want to feel, be careful of what you say. Um, 
because I don't mean to really put anybody down, but when you're a national writer, I assume that's who that was, and yeah. you have a take like that, I just don't get how you take anybody seriously. But I guess the, the I guess for him though, the positive is probably a large part of his fan base or, or his readers will read that and be ho hum and just assume that's right, right? Because you know, oh yeah, Carolina's back. Well, I mean, you know, Carolina was picked to finish third in the KCC this year, and they finished tied for fourth. And I don't, I'm not getting into tiebreakers. I never do the tiebreakers like everybody else. I, don't, I, I mean, what your your record is what your record is. So you know, them them beating State at home and losing to Florida State or whatever, it all adds up, right? Um, so they were tied for fourth, picked third. I'm, I guarantee you, if we go through the ACC Coach of the Year in in for however many has been put out, no guy's ever done that and won it. I can promise you that. No guy's ever finished, likely finished below where he was picked in the in preseason and won it. Um, but and much less if you less like you finished fourth, right? You, it's not even like you finished second. You know, you know. So I, I don't understand put, putting Mac Brown in there. I think that's a guy who just didn't do any research. I mean, NC State won not what uh, eight games and. Was picked to finish eleventh. I mean, some teams had, had some people had state three and eight. Yeah, I don't. That doesn't make any sense to me. I'm sure you guys feel the same. Well, this was a fan question, so, but I'm going to go ahead and ask you: do, do you think the media dislikes Dave, or is that just like a fan perception? Um, uh, I, I don't think. I think the media wants to be right about Dave. If that may, if that makes sense, like you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about the Hockman and Leary thing in a little bit, but but, it, but it's kind of like to me, to me, it's kind of like that, right? I think there's some fans. I think I sent you a text about this 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 morning. There's some yeah. fans who just want to be right about Hockman being bad. You understand what I'm saying? So right. they they don't want him to be good. And I think to answer your question about Dave, I think because so many some media members had already written Doran off. I mean, you can go back to 2016. There's certain yeah. media members who were writing articles about how he's done, he should have been fired, all these things um, back then. I think it reaches a stage where you just – you don't want to be wrong about it. And so you can't really acknowledge that he's pretty good, you know. So I think that's – to me, that's the issue with Doran. I don't think it's – there's a – because he's not a guy who, who rubs you the wrong way. You know, I, I don't think it's a – a media thing where I thought with Chuck, you know, covering a, a Chuck, I mean, Chuck was great for fans, great for players, but there were so many members who didn't like Chuck just because right. he could be, you know, he would come back at you, right. He would point out stuff and he would, you know, tell you wrong, all these things. I mean, like I, I disagree with what you write and call you out about it in press conferences. You know, media members don't like that stuff. I don't think that's there with Dave. I just think it's, they thought he should have been fired a few years ago and he hasn't. So why even act like he matters? You know, um, yeah, I think there's a, I don't know, it's it's a weird balance, right? They seem to love Cutcliffe and Mac Brown, the, the Southern oh, yeah. good old boy, and mm-hmm. then Dave, like he seems like a straight shooter most of the time. And I don't know if it's his media personality, but what we see from like his press conferences versus what you see from like behind the scenes clips seems like a different person. And I wonder how much of that is because he just. You know, abhors talking to the media at times, and and they give it back to him in in that regards. So I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird vibe. Yeah, I remember. I can't remember where I read it, but someone was talking about how Mac 
treats the media almost like they're boosters, like that they're he's yes. trying to always win them over just as much. Um, and that might just be his personality, but that could be why he's got elevated to the spots he has in the past. So, and I think Dave just doesn't, doesn't see them the same way. Um, and, and honestly, like those first couple seasons, right. Th- those were really hard years and I'm sure that just scarred him. <laughs> um, for a long time. Like I, I don't blame him, you know, and I did, I did appreciate when he would be in there, like calling, uh, Jiglio out for some asinine thing that he had written about the program and, calling out the yellow pad and things like that. So, I mean, he's, he's funny and, and dry. And like, I just don't know if that like plays well. It's, I think, I mean, like these media members, like part of the reason, like, I feel like they UNC get so much hype is just like, they have a fun offense. Right. And it's just, it's more fun to talk about that than, you know, a program that's got his hand in the dirt and just wins to win, you know, doesn't win pretty, but just wins. Like it just doesn't, I just don't think it moves as much paper or clicks or whatever. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I think Carolina is um it's and it's always been this way. It's the sexy school to cover, right? Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, they can create these n- narratives, these these storylines. Like I don't know if you guys saw uh, <laughs> over the weekend I I was I woke up, it was like 7:30 Saturday morning and I got a notification to my phone. It might have been Sunday and it was a a notification from the Athletic about how UNC sharpshooter Andrew Playtech. <laughs> did you see this? I did see it, yes. I just had to How, mute my phone or my speaker when you said that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, UNC sharpshooter Andrew Playtech is just going to shoot threes now and focus on shooting. And I'm like, really? This is what you're waking me up Saturday morning with this notification, Athletic, that a guy who can't really, who is supposed to be a three-point shooter and really can't shoot threes we're trying to create a storyline because he probably hit two the night before. I assume that's what happened. I didn't look at his box score. He probably went three for seven or something. Just showed a pulse. And now all of a sudden we're going to write this big feature on it. That to me is what I mean when I say they, you know, they try, a lot of media members try and make Carolina out to be sexy. And it's just like, come on, man. I mean, Andrew played tech, no offense to him. Good guy. I'm sure he probably shouldn't be at North Carolina right now truth be told like he's not a unc level player if, if it was me i have friends who are carolina fans who say the same thing why do we have this guy and you're trying to create this sexy story about it and you know and it's like you're never gonna you would never see anything like that in the athletic about nc state Can just like you'll ever see in you will never see any national media member get dave dorn or kevin keats wrong for coach of the year like it's got to be. You remember, like you guys remember a few years ago when T.J. Warren was ACC Player of the Year, and yeah. do you know how hard it was for him to win that award with people wanting other guys to just be given it? Like I don't know, like who was it? Jabari Parker. I mean, like T.J. Warren was having a year no one had had in twenty five years, and there were these guys just. Uh, Jabari Parker's just better because he, you know I guess he went to Duke and he's going to be drafted higher. But he was not. There was, it wasn't even close if you watched it. And but it was that hard for TJ to win that award. And so like, that's what I mean with Mac and, and the Yahoo thing is you're never going to see national outlets be wrong about NC State in a positive light like that. Which for Carolina it seems normal to me. I you know the one thing I can think about with Mac is like I will say when he got hired. I mean the um, how do I want to say it? The sarcasm or the expectation of failure was extremely high. From the local media, and then they 
you know, then they won that South Carolina game and it was like, oh, Mac is back, right? Um, yeah. And then it's just kind of fed into itself. And then I, I think I posted on the board the other day, I was like, you know, they're like two or three coaching decisions away from having like a three win season last year and everyone just telling everyone it's a dumpster fire, right? I mean, so I, I think everything kind of went right. And then so that expect- expectation was so low that then they're like, they just bought in with the Mac hype and. Here we are. I mean, they're like the best class I've ever heard of now. Of, you mean of recruits? recruits? Yeah, of recruits. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll see on that. Um, <laughs> Agreed. I mean, Mac, you know, Mac Brown is. I, I know. Yeah, we cover recruiting, so I know several of the guys they've landed, and to me, they are the typical guys that got him fired at North at Texas. So you know, just and what I mean by that is when when he was at Texas, he had a reputation, and he and his staff for recruiting just strictly off paper trying to have their class done as quickly as possible, um, not really evaluating, trusting, but instead trusting these these uh, these gurus, the um, 247 and rival guys to tell them who's good, you know. And they've got several of those in their cla- in that class. So we'll see. I mean, I think the Mac, Mac deserves credit, obviously. I mean, seven wins, eight wins. After UNC won, I think, three to lat the two years prior. But you guys, you guys know, just like I do, those teams with Fedora were talented. He was yeah. he was snake bitten those two years. He was they had, they had the same they had the rash of injuries NC State had last year in back to back seasons, and they didn't have a quarterback. So he, he just they you're not you're not going. We said it last year with State. You're not going to win if everybody gets hurt and you have no quarterback. I don't care who you are. <laughs> like look at LSU this year. I mean they were what two and four at one point didn't have a quarterback. Guys were getting hurt opting out. You know, um, I, I mean, I, I think that, for, but to Max's credit, Fedora recruited well. You know, Javante Williams was already there. Deami Brown, Daz Newsome, Michael Carter. Mm-hmm. That's a hell of a quartet to inherit. Sam Howe was pretty <laughs> much in the bag. I mean, he was already going to Carolina. He officially committed to UNC, but in covering recruiting, you knew he was slipping there because they had a wide open opportunity for him and, and he could walk in and play. So, you know, you inherit that. I mean, you got a chance to be pretty good. It is no excuse for them losing to Florida State and Virginia this year. I mean, <laughs> nope. I mean I, again, when we talk about coach of the year, how can you give that eight and three? You have the same record as NC State, and you lost to Florida State and Virginia. Like you, I, I, I think you can argue he did a bad coaching job this year. Honestly, yeah, they should have been ten and one. Right, should have been, been ten and one. I mean, even if you give them the Notre Dame, the Notre Dame loss, even if you want to give them the Miami game, you should have lost to Notre Dame and Miami. There's no reason you lose to Florida State and Virginia the way you did. Um, so I, I just and, and I know we're splitting hairs because you're still winning eight or nine games, but to give the guy coach of the year, that doesn't make any sense to me. Well, speaking of recruiting, <clears throat> I wanted to ask you this. We talked Will and I talked about this last night about basically the rankings, right? If you the scout and rivals, they they rank all the teams and, and while we were recording last night, Carolina moved up. With, with nothing else, oh, nothing cool. had happened. Oh, yeah. So can you explain a little bit about, and at least is, is maybe just answer is my theory correct, that sites give their guys, you know, bumps f- to drive revenue, right? The bigger sites, the bigger reg- revenue sites, you know, they're, they're improving their guys just to get that attention. And then conversely, how does IPS handle approaching ranking kids? Because I know you guys do a little bit differently. Yeah, so that's probably one of, and there are only a few reasons why I left two four seven, but that's one of them, right? That was one of the reasons why 
I wanted to branch out and do my own thing and, and get off of the network and be independent was for exactly the reason you had. I mean, you know, managing and owning, co-owning a site, running a site, you get to see the inner workings of these networks behind the scenes. And you know that there are there are um, favors done for certain sites. There are uh, certain sites have more pull into the networks, you know, uh, changes that are made. Right. And you also see it from a ranking standpoint. I mean, you see play, you see players get bumps going to certain schools when if you, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, Aaron McLaughlin was a four star kid um, heading, heading into the spring. And I think he decommitted. I believe he was committed to Auburn, decommitted from Auburn. I think probably a month, two, three weeks after that, dropped to three stars. Just decommitted. Just, like no no more football was played. He decommitted, and all of a sudden his ranking changes. And then he goes and signs with NC State. He makes the Elite 11, or commits to NC State, makes the Elite 11, which is, a, which is supposed to be, you know, one of the top th- evaluation tools for quarterbacks out there. And, and he stays a three-star. Now, if you watch him play, I mean, his ceiling is what a four-star player should be. I'm not saying – because I'm not a huge – Believer, he's going to hit his ceiling, but when you're ranking guys, I think you need to take into account what they can become, right? Like, I think that's what the majority of a ranking should be, but it's just stayed the same. And and in North Carolina, you know, and you mentioned two four seven. I mean, inside Carolina, I like the guys over there a lot. Um, ben Ben Sherman Buck, who owns it. I mean, they're great great guys. But there's no doubt. I mean, with being the largest or the second largest site on that network, they have pool. And mm-hmm. and um, I know for a fact they get that that play, they their fans and their subscribers complain on the message boards, and certain players get readjusted and re ranked. That's why I just tell our readers to not even pay any attention. You know, um, yeah. so we try to rank guys on our own, and then we'll link the the the, the rankings for rivals ESPN and and two four seven. But it's hard, man. It's hard to rank these players. I think that's what I, I wish a lot of fans would know and then maybe you take it more with a grain of salt right because i give you an example we go to um we'll go to the nike camp for instance in charlotte when they were having these and there'd be maybe 320 kids there right 320 kids and there's probably between the two or three networks there's probably six maybe seven analysts there and what they do when they're there is they fawn over the guys they already have ranked high Right. Like it's like, oh, man, look at Trevor Lawrence's arm. Like, well, no shit. It's Trevor Lawrence. Like, do we need to do you need to spend like any of your three hours watching Trevor Lawrence? You understand what I mean by that? Like, yeah, absolutely. Three right. Three of the six guys there will follow Trevor Lawrence around. And it's like you've already evaluated him. I mean, my 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 10 year old son can come in here and say he's the best quarterback here. You don't need to watch him anymore. But because they do that. The other guys that are there, whether it's, you know, Jamie Newman, someone like that, right, that was at Wake Forest, he may be at that camp looking pretty good. But because no one's watching him, no one knows he's any good, and he ends up being a two- or three-star player. Or Kenneth Walker, who plays for Wake. I mean, he's to me, he's one of the best running backs in the ACC. You watch him play, you know, three, four plays, and you're like, this guy's really good. And he was a two-star guy because no one watched him play. And that's the problem I have with recruiting rankings is there's so many really good players that just haven't been evaluated that it's hard to take all of the rankings um, serious, you know? 
Yeah, speaking of rankings that I don't take serious, how the F is Jordan Poole so low on rivals? Yeah. I mean, he's almost a two-star, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I, – that one bothers me. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, again, I think that's one of the ones where they just don't – I don't think they've evaluated him. Honestly, I because if you evaluate Jordan Poole, you're going to have him one of the top players in the state. If you watch his tape, if you check his measurables, I mean, he's a guy who – on tape, passes there all the tests you want. He ran a four six, I think, at the Nike Camp Laser, if I remember correctly. Yeah. He's five eleven, six foot, six one in that range, two fifteen, two twenty. And the thing I like about him is he camped last summer at three schools. He camped at NC State, he camped at, camped at Virginia Tech, and he camped at South Carolina. Got offers from all three schools, and all three of those schools fought like hell for him for over a year to try and get him. To me, that tells you when a player is good, right? When 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 the school when he camps somewhere, everywhere he goes, he camps, he gets offers, and those schools continue to recruit him very, very hard, he's probably a pretty good prospect. Whereas some of these guys that that are, and this is what I was meaning when I was referring to North Carolina's class, they have several players in that class who landed offers as freshmen in high school. And by the time and, and they got ranked off of those offers, right? They got ranked four stars or whatever because of those early offers. But by the time it came for them to make decisions, North Carolina was their main option, their only option. Right. And so to me, those, those players kind of worry me a little more. And I mean, there's some, and there's been some at NC state's classes over the years too. I'm not saying that just, just for North Carolina, that's just an example, but you know, I, I don't know how you, I, I think the thing with Jordan Poole is Mike Farrell. And I think the guys over there who are working at rivals, they probably just have never evaluated him because you can't have him ranked, 45th in the state if you've evaluated him. Yeah, Barton Simmons from 247 said on the national podcast the other day that Jordan Poole is potentially to be a first-round NFL draft pick. And, and then Rivals has him barely a three-star. Like, it just doesn't – something doesn't add up, right? It's kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, and I think, well, Barton Simmons has evaluated him. He's watched him. Yeah. He's checked his merit measurables. He knows he's a guy who ran a 10-8, 100 at uh, his speed. I mean, you know, when you look at the NFL – the guys that make it to the NFL in our first, second, third round draft picks, they aren't just really good players, right? They are really, really, really good athletes. I mean, give you an example, Kelvin Harmon. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kelvin Harmon was as productive as any receiver that's come through NC State from a production standpoint. But he was a six-round draft pick. Uh, yeah, six, right? Is that right? Yeah. Six? Yeah. six. Six-round yeah. draft pick because he ran four, six every time he ran. Like there are just certain athletic metrics you have to meet to be a high draft pick. And so I think part of NC State's strategy that they've changed from a recruiting standpoint is they've started to factor, you know, to factor in more track speed and, and those types of measurables because now you're saying, okay, well, we've got that box check, box check. So if he ends up being really good, then he's going to be a second or third round, first, second, third round draft pick because he has the the athletic measurables to go along with um, the production. That's why they like the kid like Anthony Smith so much last year. Uh, Julian Gray this past year, I think he was, I want to say at the Nike camp in 20, uh, in 2019, he was the fastest receiver there, I believe. You know, I, there's just certain physical attributes that you need to have to be a top two or three round pick. So I'm sure that's why he, Barton said that about, about Jordan. He's really, really athletic. Yeah. And he's athletic at his size right now, right? Like I think, yeah. you know, I don't know where Ra-Ra Dilworth is now, but I think when they were doing the combines and at the camps, I mean, Poole was like 30 pounds heavier and putting up basically the same metrics. Well, I can tell you, um, 
we we had uh we we run a database where we we track the numbers from NC State's camp camps over the years, and I know both of those guys camped at NC State the same the same time, and I'm pulling up now, but. I know Rod uh, Rod Dilworth, who signed with North Carolina, he's very, very fast. I mean, he is all of 4-4, four, 5-4, four, five, four, five, all those things. But my worry with him was always – this was before he he picked North Carolina. So, I'm not – I mean, this was – you can go check, you know, I guess as they say, check the receipts, right? Like, I mean, I had I had reservations about him way back because he, he his size. You know, I mean, he was a guy who wasn't – I mean – he was a four. I think he ran a four four. I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. Um, he ran a four four nine at NC State's camp, which is really good. Four four nine four five two, but he measured six foot one seventy three. One seventy three. It's a cornerback. That's pretty small. Now Mario Love, for instance, who NC State's recruiting to play corner, measured five nine and a half one sixty eight. I'm looking at the same camp. And this is the same camp. This is the same. Mario came on June 25th of 2019. Ra-Ra came June 22nd. So same element, same environment, same time frame, all those things. You're the same size as a corner that NC State's recruit. Now, I mean, like, 173, I mean, to get up to 225, 230, you've got to put on on nearly 60 pounds. Um, or yeah, 55 pounds over a, however long two three year period on a six foot frame. I, now, granted, he, like I said, he's four, he runs four four nine. That's great if he can. Um, yeah. I, but to me, that was my worry with Dealworth was the was the size and and did you end up taking a guy who becomes a tweener? That's why when he came out of the camp season that summer, remember I told you guys that that uh, Poole had all those offers. Well, mm-hmm. Dealworth went to state. He went to Carolina. I uh, went to a couple other places. He left the summer that year. His only offer was Liberty. He didn't have NC State didn't offer him. Carolina didn't offer him. None of those schools offered him out of camp because of it. I, I'm assuming because of his size and just trying to project him out. Now he went and had a good junior year, put together tape, and and he's really really fast. Um, so I'm sure that played a role. But yeah, I mean, I think that's the worry with a guy like Dealworth, where you're comparing him to Pool. I'm trying to pull up his numbers now. So when he came to NC State's camp, same year, this was entering his senior year. He ran a 4.60, which is obviously slower. Had a 4.34 shuttle, which is the same, but he was six foot 213. So 213 versus 173. Uh, that's 40 pounds. And you're running a tenth of a second faster. I think you'll give up that tenth if you don't have to worry about putting on 40 pounds, right? Um, but but that that to me was the reason why he got an offer from state that summer and Dilworth didn't. And Dilworth now is, you know, yeah, he's a guy who I'm sure Rivals has him ranked higher. Uh, I'm sure. I'm absolutely yeah, sure they do. Positive. Positive. He might be top five in the state. You know, he's committed Carolina. Right, we'll bring us back to the Wolfpack. Which position group with this recruiting class on each side of the ball do you think got the biggest bump or got you know, maybe the um, best? Yeah, let me – for me, I mean, I think obviously on defense you start at linebacker. I mean, I think in Jordan Poole, and Caden Fordham, they landed two guys who are enrolling early who could potentially – they could potentially crack the two deep next year, I think, um, depending on – you know, obviously Calvin Hart, uh, he decided to transfer out, so that's one spot that's going to be open out of the two deep. Um, I, I think both of those guys are really, really good fits for how State wants to play. I mean, Poole has the athletic upside to to be 
you know, I mean, he's a guy who could probably come in for you and eventually re- – I think he's probably best in the middle just because of his bulk, his size, his strength, and it makes you faster when you can play him inside, whereas I think Fordham is kind of a guy you can play in that Peyton Wilson role where he's got the size and, and the speed, and he's so familiar with playing outside. I mean, he played a lot of safety in high school at Bowles in Florida. I mean, both of those guys are two four-star players playing a p- premium position in NC State's defense where – they'll get featured, right? And I think that's one of the keys is who's going to get featured when you say who's going to hit. I mean, you got to look at potential opportunity. And I just think playing in that system, even if it's for a year behind Wilson and Isaiah Moore, Drake Thomas, Levi Jones, those guys, I mean, I think they'll be ready in a, in a couple of years to be main contributors for you. And then, and then offensively, um, you know, offensively, I like – uh, I, I do like Aaron McLaughlin at quarterback. I think he um, – I've got some reservations about where he's at right now. You know, I think he's raw. Um, I, I don't think he has the the accuracy you want in a quarterback from down to down, and I think there's going to be struggles early if you have to play him early. But I think he's got such a massive ceiling when you look at his physical attributes. I mean, we talked about it a minute ago, what a pros want to see. Well, I mean, this is a guy who, man, was at the Nike camp I think he was 6'4", 230, and ran a 4.64 laser time. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, he he physically is comparable to a, an NFL guy like a Josh Allen, right? Just big, fast. I mean, he he's you know you go watch his high school tape. I mean, he's running the ball twenty times a game, and and he has the physical bulk to take that. And I I don't know how you guys are on this, but I'm a fan of just having a dual threat quarterback. I think it gives you so many more options when your quarterback can run the ball. And you, you're willing to run him, and he has the speed to be a, a difference maker. I mean, I, I think it can cover up so many mistakes for you when, you're, when your quarterbacks can run. So when I look at him on that all, in the offense, I mean, his ceiling is just – I think his ceiling is so much higher than maybe any of the other quarterback they have on the roster right now. But that doesn't mean he's going to be coming in and playing right away. But he just has a ton of potential. Yeah, I agree. And Will and I have talked about this. The dual threat is a necess- you know, it's a necessity at this point. It, it, very rarely you're going to find uh, a Philip Rivers who can change it just by quick decision making, understanding what's happening, right? All these offenses that are su- successful now have that, you know, that added component of a guy that could just put a little bit more pressure on you by getting out of the pocket and, you know, picking up an extra first down and moving just a little bit, a little bit right. more. Yeah. I mean, who's uh, go ahead, Will. Oh, oh, oh I, I was on mute. Sorry. No. Sorry, it was James. <laughs> oh, no, I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, I think when you just look at, at, at McLaughlin, he fits that mold. Yeah. I'm trying to give a comp of a guy that, that, that a lot of the listeners may re- – he may remind them of. I mean, I would think maybe kind of how um, how uh, Virginia Tech uses Hendon Hooker, right, just kind of like uh, – um, or even Jamie Newman, who we've seen recently. Uh, but he's faster than those guys. I mean, like, it's hard to – I mean, he ran a – I'm looking at his numbers now. He ran a 4.68 at the Nike camp, Nike camp laser. I mean, for comparison purposes, Ricky Person ran a 4.71 <laughs> at a Nike camp. Um, yeah. You know, Musin Muhammad ran a 4.73, a guy who picked, picked Texas A&M last year, and he was a receiver, right? I mean, like, that's laser – that's very – that's – your pure speed. I mean, that's not fake. You know, when you go to these camps that they, they do the laser timing at, the lowest times are generally low four fives. I think Tanner Engel, for instance, ran a four five oh laser, which is one of the faster times on the NC State's teams of the guys that we've seen them sign. 
But that's it. I mean, I mean that you rarely see anybody running four three four four at those camps because these are legit times. So I know to the listeners, they may say, "Ah, oh, four six five isn't fast." No, it's that's probably like four four five hand time. So he's really really fast, and he's a a guy that carries two hundred twenty five pounds right now. So just a ton of upside with him. He looks like just watching him, you know, his highlights and whatever. He just looks like he's me playing against my six year olds, man. He just looks so much bigger and faster and just it's ridiculous how much better he looks in the, than everybody else. I think Josh Allen is probably a good comparison. I, I don't know if his, if his arm strength is comparable, but just from a ability to move standpoint, I think that's probably a good comparison. Yeah, I think you can play him. I mean, you know, I talked about him earlier not being ready to play as a true freshman. I just mean as an every down guy. But I wouldn't be shocked at all if next year with him enrolling early, if you don't see him playing a wildcat role or a goal line role, you know, where you can just say, hey, we want to run the quarterback. Whoever our quarterback is, we don't want him taking these hits on this play. Let's bring in Aaron, let him run these plays, and and it'll work. I mean, he's he's got that kind of – um What's that guy's name? Ellinger at Texas, the Tim Tebow type build and running ability to him where you can just pound on defenses with him. So I thought it was an easy um, fit for him coming, you know, coming to play for Beck, who had coached Ellinger. And, and I think it just long term, he has the potential he has the potential to be, I think, a difference maker offensively for state. Yeah, they did that with McClendon, too. Right. They brought him right. in and ran some packages for him. I, I seem to do, do the same for for McLaughlin. Who's a who's a guy that's under the radar? Maybe maybe not under the radar, but maybe not talked about as much as Aaron McLaughlin, Jordan Poole, and some of these other guys in this class. Yeah, I mean, a common guy that we've liked over at IPS is um, Julian Gray, uh, receiver out of Charlotte. You know, he's um, I think when you talk about, like I said, the athleticism, tra- those traits that you're looking for. I mean, he presents that. Uh, he's right around six foot one, one six foot maybe one seventy five, one eighty. And he did go to the opening in twenty in twenty nineteen. He ran a four four nine, which was like I told you guys earlier. Uh, I think the fastest of any receiver there. I mean four four nine laser. That's that's faster than anybody on state's roster. And um, when you watch him play, it translates over. He was ve- he's been very very productive. He's just not a track guy. I mean he was playing at Hopewell High School in Charlotte, which is not a it's not a strong known program, and they're playing against the top programs in Charlotte. He's just putting up big numbers. I mean, as a junior, 57 catches, 1,200 yards receiving. Um, on a team that, like I said, I mean, they were generally getting blown out each week. I mean, he was the main guy defenses had to focus on, and he was still productive. So I, I know with him, I mean, he kind of got a bump late because I know two for, 247, for instance, they evaluated him, really liked him a lot. I know he was a guy that state loved. I think he has the potential to come in and, and be a player to play for him even next year, even what they've got at receiver. I just think he adds that that speed element that we've talked about before, you know, we knew NC state was trying to, uh, to bring that in with this past class. And you saw some of that from, from Anthony Smith and even Porter Rooks at times in creating separation. But I think Julian Gray gives you just another guy where you can, you can start getting to the point if you're NC state of, of putting out three, three receivers who all are very, very fast, elusive and uh, run really good routes, create separation, those types of things. Because, you see it now. I mean, the struggles that NC State will have at times throwing the football is when their receivers can't come up with that 50-50 catch, right? I mean, they can't create the separation, and you have to rely on those 50-50 catches. Now, Mecca got really good at that this year. Devin Carter there, Thomas, they've been good at that as well. But you want to have some guys that can create that three, four-yard window 
that makes it easier on the quarterback. And I think a guy like Gray can do that. Yeah, I was I lost my train of thought there. I the oh yeah, the one other guy that was mentioned, uh, Barton Simmons mentioned in I thought it was pretty good because I, I I didn't expect him to mention was Demi Sumo. He said he didn't really know much about him until mm-hmm. uh, you know started what he watched some film on him and he's like this guy can make some plays and he was he was really um, he spoke highly of Demi Sumo, which is a guy that nobody's really talking about for us. Yeah, you know Demi, he's an interesting one because he's coming from New Jersey, didn't have a ton of offers, but he was one of State's earliest offers in this class at running back. You know, obviously they'd offered uh, Will Shipley. And uh, going into, I think they offered Demi uh, December of 2019. He might have been, I think I, we had him down as maybe the second or third running back to pick up an offer from State. And like I said at the time, that was his only Power 5 offer. But George McDonald had went up and watched him play a couple times up in New Jersey, loved him. I think the staff evaluated him, liked him a lot. And, um, you know, they pursued him hard. And, yeah, he, he's a guy I think they feel like probably slipped through the cracks a little bit too. The reason I didn't go with Demi is just I hadn't seen him in person. You know, I've seen some yeah. tape of him, but I hadn't had a chance to kind of look at him physically and and any of those things. So I don't, you know, I don't know where his size is. You know, he didn't go to any of the major camps, so I don't have any size speed numbers on him. But his tape's legit. I mean, I mean, he, he's a guy who makes plays for sure. And, and that is one of the things that I'd heard was that anybody that was kind of um, maybe lukewarm on him. All he would need to do would be talk to some coaches, some high school coaches from his area, and he kind of had a reputation for being, you know, the guy in that area. Like the guy, right. even though he didn't have a, a huge recruiting, it was kind of it really reminded me a lot of Jalen Samuels, like in terms of the perception of him. Like when Jalen was coming out of Mallard Creek, he wasn't a highly rated kid, but people around Charlotte just were like, "That guy's the real deal." You know, it was like he's the dude that everybody needs to be looking at. But he didn't have that recruiting attention. And, I, again, I'm not saying Sumo is going to be Samuels, but it was kind of that same vibe where it's just he he was held to a different standard than maybe some other players in his area. So you're telling all me right. that Demi Sumo is going to be uh, an all-star linebacker for us? Right. <laughs> going to be a jet sweep genius. <laughs> all right, so – I'm going to need Will to go uh, unmuted for this one because uh, this is going to wrap his alley. James texted me his question the other night, and this is why, how we ended up on this podcast. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to answer this. I need, we need to put this on the podcast. Your question was, are some fans mad that Hockman is good? Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually, I'm sure there are plenty of fans that are mad that he's good. Um, my only thing is he is good, and he is the best, probably the second best backup in the league. But he doesn't have anywhere close to Devin Leary's ceiling. And I think if you're going to take this program forward, Devin Leary's the guy. And I think we just have to acknowledge that Bailey Hockman has some limitations. Um, He has ups and downs. And he's going to have some really good ups. And he's going to have some pretty gross downs. You know, I mean, the Liberty game was was bad. Um, And that's a game where I think uh, a Devin Leary can can kind of pick that team apart a little bit better. just because of what he's capable of doing. But like, I think we said it on this podcast a bunch of times, like Bailey Hawkman kept winning. You know, I was super negative when Leary got injured. You guys were both on there. I said, we weren't, we were only winning one game, one game maybe. So um, he clearly played better in the second half of the season. I just think if you go back and look at the competition for the second half of the season, it's, it's pretty bad in my opinion. I think I, we said Liberty was a fraud. I think they are. They've got one good win over, 
Virginia Tech, and then they you know lost to the only top twenty five team they played, which is us. So I think that's how the college football playoff committee does this. Um, so yeah, I, I you know I, the thing is like if if they're both here next year, in my opinion, you start Leary, and I don't think there's any question about it. I think it would separate itself, you know, in any kind of competition in the spring. I guess I'm just confused that some people think that it's going to be a tough decision or it, it seems to be coming off that people think there's a legitimate competition where I think if Leary is healthy, I don't think it's really that close. Yeah. Look, I am full disclosure. I prefer Devin Leary in these two guys. I, I'm with you. I think there is a ceiling there throwing the football that he adds. Okay. Um, and also, like I said on our podcast and I've said on our website, to me, the biggest thing of all, he's a sophomore Hockman's a junior. So you potentially have three years of Leary versus two of Hockman. But I've never seen a guy improve in, a, in, in the middle of a season the way Hockman has to where, I mean, guys, we were talking about going into the North Carolina game. People wanted to play Ben Finley, right? Like, like we're mad that Hockman was playing over Finley, much less Devin Leary, a, a true freshman. And then you fast forward that five games later, and that's Miami, Florida State, Liberty, uh, Syracuse, Georgia Tech. I get it. You know, those aren't great teams. But we also have to be be realistic in that um, Leary played Pitt, Virginia, and Duke. And I would you could make a case maybe that Virginia and Duke's past defenses are worse than anybody on the schedule. Um, so, but, but Hockman, I mean, in the final game against Georgia Tech, they're not running the clock out running the ball. They're throwing the ball with a lead because they have that much confidence in him. So, and, and I, again, I never thought we would get to that point, right? We were thinking, like you said, uh, we'll may, may, we'll, may win one game. I don't know. You probably thought Liberty was the one game. I can't remember. I think I, I think it was Syracuse because I had Syracuse. watched them enough yeah, all year, and I was like, they right. got a fullback playing offensive line. We got this. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and so, but there are people, and again, I'm not saying this is coaches. I'm saying just people around the program who think, Hockman has earned the starting job. I'm, I don't agree with that. Um, but there's – I don't know. I, I guess the hard part is what do you – when you say – when we say ceiling, what all does that entail? Yeah. Because, you know, offensively, if, if your quarterback if it's Bailey Hockman and he can – you can score 45 against Wake and 40 against Miami and 36 against Syracuse and 38 against FSU, isn't that kind of what you want? Like how much more ceiling do you want, right? Like – and when you see that type of a development from him, do we think he's reached where he can get to? Like, I understand. But I think Devin Leary obviously has a huge ceiling as well. But why do we think Hawkman maybe has reached his ceiling or lacks the upside? I struggle with that. I, I'm, I'm genuinely asking. I'm not saying that, like, you know, um, because the other thing is that I've been told is that Hawkman is provides more with his legs, for instance. I think he had four rushing touchdowns this year. Um, I, I don't know. I don't, you know. So, so what I would say to that is it's funny. I, I like looked at their numbers and kind of extrapolated it out over the, the whole season. If one had all the snaps versus the other. And I mm-hmm. think they ended up averaging like two or seven yards each running the ball <laughs> because of their sacks. Um, right. Mm-hmm. I, I think the thing is like with Leary is he can offset that rushing touchdown upside that, uh, that Hockman brings with the way he can throw the ball in the red zone. I mean, you can go back to the Virginia tech game, right? The first thing he does is throw uh, an out route 
uh, to the end zone, right? Uh, to I think it was Cart, no Riley. Um, and you saw that throughout the season when he was playing, like he, you know that 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 winning play against Pitt. I think we saw it at UVA. I'm trying to remember the other spots. So I think he would have made up for that difference. I do not disagree. I mean, Hawkman is definitely more mobile. But I go back and I think about like the pit game and Leary looked so in control in that game for, you know, it, it just, we didn't see anything like that out of Hawkman. Miami was close, I think, um, to seeing that. But I mean, that that's what I was saying. Oh, like, Syracuse. Syracuse? Um, yeah, well, so I, I think I break down the Syracuse game into first half and second half. And I thought he was really, really good in the second half. And I think, I told Evan this. I thought Dave said that he might have been sick that week, and he looked kind of lethargic to start that game. Um, and you know, some stuff just obviously didn't go his way, right? That pick where you know CJ Riley is responsible for two of the worst picks of the year, probably. Um, unfortunately, his legs got tripped up in one, right? That's right. been pass interference, and then um, and then this one. So, uh, and that fumble was ridiculous. So, I, I think Bailey's had some had some tough luck that game. He definitely that second half was his best half of the year, I think. Um, cause he did bring us back in that game and there were people, right. You were talking about Ben Finley, right? There, there were definitely people uttering, you know, why isn't Finley in the game, which was ridiculous. Cause I think we were only down like seven or nine points at halftime. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just can't stop thinking about how just even in the UVA game, even though it wasn't going his way, particularly like still Leary looked in perfectly in command of that game. Um, you know, I mean, the Duke game still, I think, probably frustrates a lot of people because I think you saw UNC do what we thought we would have done, which is just go attack them vertically. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, why are we trying to run the ball still? Um, yeah. But yeah, I just that I just can't stop thinking about just the way he throws that ball, and it just seemed like heat man. He just walked in basically to Virginia Tech. You know, he came off cold. And then just ran down the field, right, and scored. And I, I just can't stop thinking about Hockman coming in against Duke and almost throwing like two or three picks um, and still winning that game. But he obviously improved. You're right. I mean, that bye week, I don't know if it was the bye week that changed it for him, but, you know, that second half of UNC and on, he was a good uh, ACC-level quarterback. Um, I just don't think he was – you know, like if, you, if I think about it like this, I would say the league this year, it should have been – um, Lawrence Howell Leary. I mean, because I think Derek King is just a jag with uh with some legs. Um, you know, because so I I don't know. Would you put Hawkman up there with that group? I mean, I just I, it, it's hard for me because like you're right. We don't <laughs> because I'm with you. I think there was some upside there for Leary like the last six games to play really well. But what concerns me about Leary is. It felt like after he came into Virginia Tech, you know, I'm looking at his numbers now. He was 12 for 16 against VT. Went to Pitt, was completed 64% of his passes, 336, four touchdowns. And then at Virginia Tech, 11 for 25. And then at Duke, against Duke, 15 for 25. You know, one interception, one touchdown, had to fumble. It felt like his play was decreasing, even though you were playing worse teams, right? Like, like what 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 I don't what bothers me with kind of like looking at it from an extrapolation standpoint is we would probably agree Virginia and Duke should be the teams you're throwing for 300 yards against and you're throwing for three four touchdowns against like like a Miami or Syracuse or whoever that that Hawkman did down the stretch but you didn't even eat on those teams you know so I don't know if it was maybe it was just 
the circumstances of, of those games or had team had those teams kind of figured something out with Devin to where he wasn't as as efficient as he was against Pittsburgh? He, I don't know. Like that's what's the hard part for me from extrapolating it down. But I do kind of tend to agree with you in that I think he would have shown out going down the stretch because I do think he's really good. I, mean, I think both of these guys are really good. That's more of my point. I don't really think it's that I don't think it's that different between the two. I don't. I think towards the end of the year, we saw a level of Hockman where he was throwing the same 50-50 balls. He was throwing the same back shoulder play throws. You know, he's probably not as good on the um, the intermediate routes, you know, the, the the deep end and those. But you can run QB draw with him. You can run QB power with him. Um, you can run some running game with him stuff to where you can, you know, offset a little bit of that difference. So, and, and I think, again, the big thing where we don't know, and this is what all three of us do not know, how does the team perceive each of them? How does the coaching staff perceive each of them? What's their what are what's their work ethic like? You know, what are the intangibles? Which one's a leader? I, I mean, are all those boxes similar too, like we're trying to say? I mean, and that's kind of what we're talking about early in the year. And and that's what worries me is like I don't think he all of a sudden, and you guys may disagree with me on this. I don't think Leary all of a sudden got healthy prior to Virginia Tech. I, you know, I told you guys beforehand, I'm like, he's gonna play when when Hawkman screws up. And I mean, we have, yeah, we think Doran has like a uh, unabashed love for Bailey Hawkman and his grit, and um, like that's I don't, I I don't think Doran. I don't think it's Doran to be honest. Or, with you. or Beck, whichever one it is, right? And somehow Leary kind of must rub them the wrong way somewhat. But I mean, it, to me, it's like the quote that stands out to me is I think it was Skullthorpe, I, I think, or maybe it was Wit. But basically, they were like, we're going to go out and prove that Bailey Hockman is a D1 quarterback. And I was like, well, I've never heard someone say that about Devin Leary. <laughs> like, you know, so, I mean, I, and the other thing, too. I, this, Here's the question, though. Have you seen anybody question Devin Leary? Uh, well. To where they have to say that. Yes. If you look okay. at the preseason yeah. preseason rankings for quarterbacks, Devin Leary was 11th. But he was behind freaking Gosnell the walk-on from B.C. Right. Right. No, I just meant like I just think that even because I would imagine those guys, if it was Skullthorpe, was probably talking to NC State fans, right? Oh, like, definitely, definitely. It, it was just so, it was just so odd to see a player say that. I mean, I, I agree with you. You can look at his numbers and you can say, "Hey, was he coming down?" I will go back and say, like, one, he had a touchdown stolen from him in the UVA game by replay. Like that was, I still don't know how they yep, overturned it, right? And then two. After we knocked out that quarterback, right, it just seemed like the whole game kind of shifted into, like, just don't blow it. And yep. then I, – so I don't know if that was, like, weather and and Dave just still being, like, we got a freaking win, like, after last year. So I think some of that kind of factored in to the, the next two games. But you're right. I mean, it, it could be – you know, maybe they saw something. But um, you just still see him just making some of these plays with those passes over the middle that – you know, I mean, if you look at the play chart, right, or the pass chart that Philip did, the whole field is peppered when Devin Leary is in. And mm-hmm. then, you know, Hockman definitely plays – it has been playing a smarter game. Hey, I got to go on um, mute for a minute. I got to take this call. Yeah, but no – Will, I mean, I mean, Evan, no doubt, though, in my mind, like I, I don't think any of us will say Hockman has a better arm, right? Like I think Devin – I think Devin certainly gives you the ability to make all of those throws. And, and we could be debating this in the staff – is probably going to be pro Leary. I don't know. You know, I don't know that. I just think that it's one of those deals where when you have one guy who's 
five and one this past season as a starter and started, you know, finished the game out or however you want to label it, the other guys two or three and oh, I mean, there was going to be some players there. there I, I promise you, there's going to be some players that are going to be pro Leary. There's going to be some that's going to be pro Hockman. Right. Uh, the way it is. And, and I just don't know if it's as cut and dry as Leary's arms better. He's got, he's going to be the guy. Cause I don't know if the staff will evaluate it in just that metric. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I think there's other yeah. factors they're going to weigh because you probably think the same as me. They're going to have to make a decision. You're not going, you're not going to be going into next season with both of these guys still competing for the job. In my opinion, what will have to happen is you'll probably go through spring practice and then you're going to probably have to kind of tell one or the other, he's the guy and let the other guy move on. Um, that's what I think, because I just can't see both of them. They've just both put too much good tape on, Good, good plays on tape to stay in the same position. Don't you agree? Yeah, I I agree. I think that's the concern. What I what I'd be interested in, and maybe something Philip can do when there's no other sports going on, but is like there's got to be something to the offensive efficiency between Hockman and Leary. And the for to me, it's the perception. Like that first half of the UVA game, you like he's just he's in command, right? And then versus the first half of the Syracuse game where you're like, man, what, what is Hockman doing? And I, I think there's there's a bit of perception that we didn't, under Hockman, we didn't smoke any of those teams that we likely would have with Leary is there. And that's just, again, that's speculation because you don't know what's happening. But to me, that's what it feels like. And I think the, the fans feel the same way. I, I know I do. I think the, they're more efficient with Leary. It gives them more – um, you know, it's more spread, like like Will said, and there's more options, and maybe that keeps people honest. I don't know. But do you think do you think his like how do you think that's offset by him not being as mobile? Do you think that doesn't matter? And, I don't think he's I don't think he's not as mobile. I think that is almost overblown. I think he can move. I don't think he can slide. We we've seen that. I think that was a big problem. But I think they're very comparable if you're talking about mobility wise. And 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 go back to that Duke game. Like I think to me the thing that I've noticed is we will gloss over Leary's mistakes. And if Hawkman made the same mistakes, we would be like, what are you, you know, what are you doing? Well, part of that is you know, precedent. Hawkman's put that put it on tape and he's put that out there that he can he can have that three interception game or he can have that that really bad game and Leary like Leary made he made a couple throws across the middle. I'm like, oh, what are you doing? And then Thayer Thomas would make a great catch, but yeah, he just he gets the benefit of the doubt because he hasn't had the he hasn't had those games where it's just like this is a train wreck. I don't think. Yeah, and man, it's interesting, man. I don't know. I I'm hoping that for the staff, it's not as much of a debate. Yeah. And you know, you know what I mean? Like I hope yeah. they already kind of know what they're going to do and they're not really that worried about it and what happens happens. But I, I just, like I said, I would pause people in thinking and assuming it's just automatically um, done one way or the other, because I think worst case, you probably have some that just say, you know what, at least I think at least Bailey has earned the opportunity co- to compete in the spring for right. the job, you right. know, and, and, May the best man win. I mean, I think that's kind of – there's just so many variables at quarterback that – I mean, we've seen quarterbacks, man. You go back to 2016, I mean, there's no doubt uh, Jalen McClendon had better tools than than Ryan Finley, just pure tools. But he wasn't a better quarterback. He didn't do enough as a quarterback. He didn't have all of the other boxes checked 
to the level of Finley. And, and that's my thing. We I don't really know if I'm Tim Beck or if I'm Dave Doran what boxes these guys need to all check to where I can say, okay, it's definitely going to be Devin. You know, um, I think the fan concern is how the quarterback situation has been handled for like the last year and a half. So last year it was a roller coaster. This year, Devin's named the starter in the spring or in the summer, whenever you know they actually had some practices. Get some COVID holdouts. You know, Bailey wins Wake Forest. Oh, yeah, Bailey's going to be your starter for Virginia Tech for half that game. Oh, yeah, Devin's Devin's coming in now. He's ready now. Like, there, it's just been – I think people can agree that there's, I don't know, a lack of trust on how the quarterback has been handled over the last year, and that puts some concern in a lot of people, I think. Let, let me ask you this. So, we both know or knew that Devin was a starter going into fall. Okay, and then he had that stretch of, I think Dave said, 21 days where he had to be away from the team. So that's three weeks. Yeah, right. Okay, let's say during that three weeks, let's say Bailey Hockman played the way he did against Wake Forest and the way he has the last four or five games during those three weeks. Okay, that's how he looked in practice day in, day out, hypothetically. Um, what he, And then he goes out and he starts against Wake Forest and he plays the way he did. What do you do? Like, I mean, you don't know what you've seen. You don't have anything from from Leary again on tape. Uh, or, I mean, I'm sorry, this season. And you're seeing this guy now four or five weeks in a row play like a guy capable of winning ACC games. I don't know if there's an easy decision to just say, okay, we go back to Devin for the, to start Virginia Tech. Yeah, there's no way that's an easy decision. The right hand, riding the, I think they were just riding the hot hand. And then, and that was kind of like why I was saying when we were on the podcast previously, I'm like, look, man, it's not going to be a deal where Devin's just going to randomly start one week. I don't think it's going to work that way. I think it's going to have to be Hockman playing well until he no longer plays well. You know, I mean, look at, look at the Jacksonville Jaguars, for instance. They, they started Mike Glenn in a game and he played well. I don't know who it was against. It was like the Browns or somebody. They yeah. played well, didn't win, but he played well. So he started the next game, and then he didn't play well, and they replaced him with uh, who uh, they went back to Minshew. Like, I-, I think that's part of the thing that happened at quarterback was I believe during that time Leary was out. Hockman looked good in practice. He got the start against Wade. They won, scored 45. He was really good, and he's starting against Virginia Tech. Um. I, I'd argue really good. He was 16 for 23, 191 yards and a touchdown and an interception. He was serviceable and they won, but he won because they rushed all over Wake Forest. I mean, yeah, yeah. Bam I mean, had a sure. great game. I mean, you know, you'll yeah. take, if, if your quarterback completes 70% of his passes, 8.3 yards per attempt, you'll take that. I mean, he wasn't asked. You're right. I mean, part of the reason he only threw it 23 times was because you were running the ball. I wish they would have yeah. been able to run the ball like that all year. And then you wouldn't yes. be in a situation against Georgia Tech where – he's got to throw the ball 36 times to win it for you. Yeah. I mean, that to me was the problem this year was and, – and again, that's even more credit to Leary and Hockman as a group is the fact that the running game just disappeared. And you had to have both of those guys go out – I mean, just think about where we were a year ago, man, debating this. And now you have two guys who are throwing for 304 touchdowns in ACC games. I mean, like, you know, there were times this year where I didn't agree with some of the things Beck did as a coordinator – but the dude should probably be up for whatever those assistant coach of the year awards just for his quarterback development alone. I mean, where he got both of those guys is, is unbelievable. Without a spring and without pretty much any practice. I mean, yeah, 
given given you're playing your backup quarterback and given what we saw from Bailey Hockman last year, the fact that State went eight and three with basically their backup quarterback the majority of this year, I think that's that's another reason Dave should win coach of the year. It's, no doubt. It's freaking phenomenal. No doubt. I mean, you had two guys, like we said, you had two guys go on the road in the ACC, throw for 304 touchdowns and win. Two different quarterbacks who who both of them coming into this year were major question marks. And one, I think we all thought, because I was with you, I mean, I was telling you, I mean, we all thought one just was never going to get to anywhere. I mean, we thought yeah. as a redshirt junior, you don't see him. You're not supposed to see improvement like that. Well, I hope this clears up the fact that everybody thinks you love Bailey Hockman. No, I don't. I love, I love Devin Leary. <laughs> I mean, like, I, have, I have a major crush on Devin Leary, but I, but yeah. I also – I also like just kind of playing devil's advocate a little bit. Sure, and, certainly. And just sticking, you know, just sticking the knife in and twisting it around some. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm go to I'm gonna go to bat for Bailey Hockman. But let's be honest, man. Like I hadn't seen a quarterback as clutch and step up the way Leary did against Pitt. Yeah, I mean, to me yeah. that was the best performance of the year. That defense, even though you only scored 30 points, to me like scoring 30 points at Pitt when they were where they were because that was that was even before Pickett got hurt. You know, I mean, their season kind of went to shit, right? Like Pickett got hurt, missed two or three games. Defense started opting out, guys. So people want to look at Pitt now and say, oh, they went five and six or whatever they went. No, that team that Leary played was ranked, had got, had things rolling. They thought they were going to be a competitor. And he went up there and just shredded them. To me, that was like that's, – that's case closed Why I'm Devin Leary. And, and not to mention he's a sophomore. Yeah. But, I mean, Bailey Hockman, man, I mean, like the improvements he made – I just wish people would – and that's kind of what I sent you that text about. Just kind of at least show him a little respect. <laughs> right? Like give the man yeah. some respect. I mean, the guy is – can, we can at least all still like Leary, but admit that Hockman is good. He, he played really well at the end of the year. He deserves a lot of credit for how they finished this year when they could have they could have folded when Leary went down. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So now we saw that, that last year. Now that I've returned to this this pod and have to go back 20 minutes to figure out where you changed your tune. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> do you, uh, so do you, did you guys address this? Do you think Hockman and Leary will both stick around after the spring? If, if they're, let's assume that they, one doesn't transfer before then. Do you think with the new no. transfer rules? Yeah, I don't, I don't think either one will. I mean, and I think um, when you look at it, I don't think, he, I don't think they both should, you know, I think both of them are starting quarterbacks. I think, it's hard to have two – I mean, obviously, if you're NC State, you would love it. But it's hard to have two guys play the way they did and just stay around for two more years. If it was a year where – if it was a deal where, like, you take, for instance, Hockman and the rules hadn't changed, and if he transferred, he'd have to sit again, and if he didn't get this yeah. year back. But, I mean, he could go somewhere and be a junior and start two years. Like, I, I don't – to me, Dave and, and the staff is going to have to make a decision at the end of spring practice, maybe, maybe sooner, I don't know, um, because you just can't – you can't keep both of those guys, I don't think. Um, if Leary leaves, if Leary's the guy that leaves for whatever reason, people are going to melt down. Like it, the it, the perception is going to be just, oh, I, it's, it's going to be great for your clicks and your views, but man, it's going to be a, but it, why, it's going to be a rough. But rough why? Time. Why do you think that is? Just because he's perceived to be the better option. I, I yeah. think he yeah. is the avenue to ten wins. I, I just think he is what we were we have been missing. Like, no offense to Ryan Finley, but like, you know, it's not like he's like a real NFL quarterback. If you know, he he is a great college quarterback, but I just, you know, I, he 
what wasn't the big complaint about Ryan Finley that he never led us on a game winning drive? That yeah, I mean, that was the, that, that was insane, yeah. right? But yep. yeah, you know, and then Leary just marched down and, and did it in his first start this year. So I, I just feel like Leary is the guy that can get us over the hump where we're we're not losing to a Wake Forest type team um, when we are significantly better. You know, maybe I'm wrong, but. You know, he went two and zero. He would have gone three and zero this year, right? If he had gotten to finish the Duke game. I don't I, like. It's funny. It's funny you say you say that. I don't disagree with you, but were we losing when he got hurt to Duke? I, I can't remember, but I think I think you had posted or something like. If just I felt like I was so I was watching that game on a cell phone in the middle of nowhere, Virginia, and I felt like we were about to lead the game winning drive, or we were about to just put the throat, you know, put it down on their throat at that point, and then you know, here's here, here hey. Here's one thing Bailey Hockman does. Doesn't slide. <laughs> he yeah. he dives. He takes contact. That dude is a gamer. And, uh, you know, thank God. Um, but uh, We yeah. were losing that game. We're, yeah, that was the drive. I think he – so Hockman, I think, came in. I think we threw the ball like two or three times. We tried a trick play to uh, Thayer Thomas for him to throw a touchdown. And, uh, and it mm-hmm. didn't work. And then we took the lead on that crazy – um, so Hawkman took the lead with the touchdown pass. Yeah, I mean, he's game-winning drive, right? <laughs> I'm trying well, to see when did it's hard. It's hard to tell when Leary went out. According to this like box, four score. or five minutes left in the third. Yeah. Um, oh, th- then we were winning because it was 21-20, uh, so it was close. Okay, so he'd already taken the lead. Yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, and my only reservation with everybody jumping off a ledge if Leary chooses to leave is we don't know we don't know reasons behind why that decision will be, would be made. Like right. in this era, man, where guys can leave and have three years, you don't have to have. I mean, look, like Doug Nestor, for instance, just left Virginia Tech, and he was a starting guard for them every game this year, and was their high, their I think their highest rated recruit on on the roster, and he's a he was a sophomore. Yeah, he played last year as a freshman. He's a sophomore. Like he just chooses to leave. You know, I mean, like like Leary could just choose to leave and it not really be dependent on what Doran wants to do. Maybe he wants – it's just – what worries me about this season is there's going to be so much turnover because guys have more freedom than ever, where pre, in previous years they'd be willing to stick things out, right? You didn't, have to, you didn't have to burn a year of eligibility. You didn't have to sit a full year before you could play. All of those things were deterrents to so many players leaving. Now you can just say, you know – I told I, we joke about it on my podcast. I've had a couple of coaches text me or tell me like, "Man, we we feel like we can't even pass gas around these players now. They may transfer." <laughs> it's that simple. To where if you go to practice and have a bad workout, you can just transfer. And and so I think that if if Leary were to be the one to leave, it it could be just because I'm with you, man. I think some teams could look at him and be like, "Look." If I'm a Penn State, yeah. right? If I'm a if I'm a, a team like Michigan or somebody that just doesn't have anything really going well at quarterback right now, I could say you can have a guy for three years and he could be starting for you in 2021. And if I'm Dave Doran, I mean, I can tell Devin Leary he's my guy, but if that's an option he has, then maybe he just chooses to take that. You know, I, I don't know how you prevent that. I, I mean, I think we were talking about it earlier. Oh, sorry, Evan. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, McLaughlin is the type of quarterback we have needed and that, you know, clearly Beck has shown that he can take to, you know, not necessarily maybe to the promised land, but 
he, he is exactly what he wants. And, you know, I was just thinking earlier, we were talking about Julian Gray and Anthony Smith. And I mean, we obviously forgot to mention Chris Scott Jr., obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I kept thinking about how a lot of what Howell does and gets success from at UNC is he keeps extending plays and then throws to Deami Brown or Daz Newsome right after they've just broken free for three or four seconds against these DBs. And that's what we've been missing. And I think that if McLaughlin can keep plays alive or be that threat to bring the safety down on a run, and then he gets to take a cheap vertical shot. You know, that's what I still think Bailey and Leary too, like they don't bring that presence. So, you know, if Leary was a transfer or if Hawkman were to transfer, I'd feel, I just feel confident knowing that you've got McLaughlin who is going to just, he's just going to be a different quarterback that we haven't had in a very long time. The problem I have with with that, I don't think you're wrong. I don't think either one of you are wrong. But if Leary leaves, what it feels like is Dave has pushed all of his chips in on next year. Like everything is lining up fi- for him finally that next year he should have, you know, some experience, defense, good good defense in the secondary. Right, he's brought on some pieces for the defensive line to fill those gaps. He's got the you know speed at wide receiver. You know, those guys, our wide receivers now could return. Everything is lining up where next year should be his year. And I think Leary gives you that best chance to win. If he leaves, people are going to flip because that's just going to look, it's just going to look bad. Like, oh, here comes another excuse. And I don't think there should be an excuse, though. I mean, you've like, right. you've still got Hockman. Like, like, I mean, and again, I know, again, there's perceptions there of which is better and all those things, but. If I'm if I'm trying to be anti Dave, for instance, right, and I'm going not going to accept an excuse, you've got a guy who just won six games for you in the conference, right? Like he didn't go out and win like three games against freaking James Madison and A and T and Central. I mean, State played ten ACC games this year, played one non conference game against a ranked team. He won six of those games. You don't have an excuse if Leary leaves. This still should be your year because you were able to win against conference teams last year with Hockman, and you're bringing all those things back. So I I, I kind of wouldn't give him a pass personally. Um, I would still have the same expectations. But, again, that's because I don't really think – you know, I think Hockman has shown enough to where you should still expect NC State to win games with him. Um, if This year we won all the close games. And, I, you know, you know, State fans don't feel comfortable saying, hey, we're going to win those close games again next year. So they need – they they need that bit of cushion and I think the little gap there between Leary's potential and and what you're going to get out of Bailey like Bailey's improved you know he's gotten better as he's gotten as it's gone along so there's no saying he's not going to get even better right he could I think it's just again it's just going to be a perception thing I think people are going to uh, they want next year they want to win next year and I think that's it's just Dave's best shot and I think Leary gives you the best chance to do that. Have have they put out the schedule for next year? I mean, in terms of the potential opponents, I guess. Yeah, have. so the opponents here, I pulled it up before. Um, I don't think they've changed it from where it was projected to be for next year. So they didn't adjust it for the home games we should have had this year. And so here's, not- the, here's the schedule. USF, Mississippi State, Furman, Louisiana Tech. Those are your non-conference. ACC games are BC, Florida State, Crossovers with Miami, 
And that's it. Crossover with Miami, Clemson, Louisville, Carolina, Cuse, and Wake Forest. Okay. So out of conference, you've got Mississippi State and South Florida. Um, Louisiana Tech, yeah. Louisiana Tech. So maybe go three and one through that. I'm just trying to plan them out, play them out in my head. I mean, I, yeah, I think next year you should have a ton of expectations with that schedule. I don't know what Miami is going to be if Garrett King leaves. I think some people believe he's going to bypass on the free year um, and leave. And so they'd be starting a new, starting over at quarterback. Um, I, I'm still not like if Carolina loses all the guys I expect them to lose, I think they're going to take a step down. Yeah. Are, um, are you hearing anything about Javante Williams, James? Yeah, man, I think he's gone. You know, I play in a, I, I play in several of these like Devi leagues in fantasy where we draft um, college players and just have them just automatically inherit on our roster. And they were, it was funny. They were looking. They were releasing some of the rankings for this upcoming draft, and they had him as the second or third player drafted. Um, and and they had him ahead of like guys like Etienne, which I thought was interesting. So I guess the NFL scouts tend to be really, really – I'd be shocked if he – because those tend to play true. They tend to basically show – you know, like the first, the number one guy was um, was Trevor Lawrence, and then you had the running back from Alabama, and then it was uh, – excuse me, then it was Javante Williams. So my thinking is if he's being viewed that way, I don't see why he would go back. Now, I do know with him – I remember when he was being recruited out of high school, he was a – high GPA kid. I mean, he was, I think, valedictorian at Wallace Rose Hill. So he could just say, you know what, I want to go back and finish my degree for a year. But I think it's incredibly risky because he's that perfect – he's that ideal one-year wonder where he needs to cash in. Yeah. I mean, he, look at what we're saying about Etienne. Like I just told you, he's above Etienne who yeah. last year was – right? Like, I, yeah. He, I he also kind of reminds me – he's not the same, but he's kind of like Leonard Fournette like and how he bangs through people. And I do wonder if the NFL right now is seeing those kind of backs have like two or three year runs while you could have like an Etienne who I think is more like, I mean, he's not Alvin Kamara, right? But like, he's just so much more versatile in that pass game. Um, He, yeah, he should absolutely take the money. Oh my God. I mean, if he's that real. And like you said, I mean, he's a physical guy. You go and look at his numbers. I don't think he's missed a game yet at North Carolina, which is very rare for a running back. You know, he could come back and and have an injury, for instance. Just, just you know, you're just throwing out hypotheticals to where, yeah. excuse me, to why his stock could drop. So I, I I don't know who would advise him to return if that stuff's true, but you never know, man. I mean, like I didn't think Etienne was coming back, you know. <laughs> so you never know. All right, so we've turned this into a, an hour and a half. I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up with a couple a couple questions. This is what we do. We we tend to rant and and rain for far too long. Give give us your thoughts on the FSU guys coming in, Durden and Fagan. Yeah, um, I think they're ideal pickups. Um, Durden to me is the biggest addition. I think, I think in this class uh, when I'm looking at you know, NC State's recruiting class, assuming knock on wood he makes it in in January. I think State's still concerned that other schools could continue to recruit him because, you know, he doesn't sign anything and he's got a three-week window before he has to enroll. But, you know, he's perfect for State's scheme. I mean, he's 6'4", 300 pounds. I mean, he was a guy – when when I had Phillip on when we were breaking down the Florida State game leading up to it, Phillip talked about he's like the 16, the dirty kid. He's the guy that jumps off tape to you, off you know, in terms of their defensive front. And luckily for NC State, he didn't play that game. He battled injuries 
all year. I think that was the game he ended up op- opting out for the season prior to. But, you know, he's going to be a Larell Murchison type. I mean, he's going to come in. I think he'll be State's best defensive lineman. Um, he ju- he's just different, dude, man. He's a draft pick. And I think State really feels like they hit a home run with that one. Fagan, the safety, is going to come in and be a um, – a kind of a third, maybe a second or third safety. I could see him pushing Jakeen Harris. I could see him being the guy that where Tanner Engel gets his ejection. You know, you <laughs> right? Like, you know, I, I love Tanner Engel. Man. That's another debate. I mean, I don't want him to change a thing. Keep playing the way you play. Just like when when the quarterback slides, just be on the other side of the field. Just so you're not even in that just position. Put right? your so, hands in front of you. That's all I ask. Just just like two hand touch him. He's a missile man. He's going to he hits a, he hits whatever he hits the same exact way every single time. So I, my advice is just do not be near anyone sliding or on the sideline. Like if he can just stay out of those situations, he'll be he'll be fine. But in all seriousness, I mean I think Fagan gives you, you know, you were talking about it being state's year, right? And I think or potentially next year. I think the things that can derail those types of seasons is when you have these huge gaps between your starters and your bench pieces. And we saw that at the Virginia Tech game, you know, or, or let's take North Carolina, for instance, where you lose Tanner Engle that game and you have to play Devin Boykin, a true freshman safety. And he just physically wasn't ready to, to play in that type of game against Carter and Williams. Or you, you have to play Duffy a walk-on. And Duffy was good, fine. But you don't want to be – if you're one of those teams competing, you don't want to have your second stringer be a walk-on. So I think Fagan is going to give them a third safety to where, you know, now if you have if, if Harris gets hurt or if Engel goes out, you're playing a fifth year guy who play who, who played in 30 games at Florida State. I mean, the drop off, if any, is going to be minimal. And I think State feels like that's the way you you reach your ceiling is when you do have that injury or a guy who's not playing well, you don't you you've got an option you can go to, but also it provides more competition, man. Because I think that was part of Jakeen Harris's problem this year. Like he, he was inconsistent because he didn't always have to be on at the top of his game. There was nobody pushing behind him. He played every snap, regardless of how well he played. And sometimes that's good, but sometimes it can it can limit your um your your efficiency because you're not getting pushed. All right. Last question here from this one's from the fans. And I told them I promised I would ask ask you this question. This was from from our, our friend James Cunningham. I seriously want to know why Henderson watches bad ACC football games when there are so many other games available. I love it, man. I love the <laughs> ACC. No, it's funny. I, I always get that, man. I'll, um, like I can't remember what the game was. I think it was 20, 2019 last year. It was a Louisville-Wake Forest game. Yeah. And it was like 61-59. And I was watching that game, and I'm pretty sure the other game on was maybe LSU-Alabama. And and I just catch myself, I'm like, why am I watching Louisville-Wake Forest right now? But I don't know. I, I, I've, I've gotten to where I care. I am and so invested in watching these other programs and finding out where they're at that I tend to catch myself watching, you know, those games more. Um, and, and the other thing was up until recently – you know, you guys know I have probably heard or, or we've talked about I hate watching Virginia play basketball. I just don't do it. <laughs> um, so I, I will watch them play the one time they play NC State, and that'll be it. I yeah. can't watch them play. But up until recently, I was like that with the SEC. Like, you know, go back three, four, five years ago, the SEC was still pounding ground, you know, when pounding ground the ball when everybody else had already kind of switched to these open offenses. And so people – 
you know, we'd have people on our site saying, James, why aren't you watching LSU Alabama? And I'm like, the game's 7-6. Hey, why would I want to watch a 7-6 football game? It just it's not, it wasn't appealing to me. And so I guess I just had I hadn't adjusted completely away from that because I know Alabama's fun to watch now. LSU last year had Joe Burrow. Yeah. Florida opened it up. I think those teams have changed, but I'm just so used to watching the ACC that I just don't I don't watch any I don't watch any other league. It's it's probably bad, but and it's really really bad this year. I mean, there's a shitload of bad football, man. It was bad. Um, it was bad. So. There was a lot of bad football this year in the ACC. I'm watching if it, I'm, I'm probably be watching Florida State wait this weekend over somebody else. That's pretty bad. Well, James, I put it Clawson, in the, right? Yeah. yeah, I put it in the chat. Well, that's, why that's why you're killing us in this ACC pick'em, James. Is you watch yeah. terrible games and you know you know how yeah. bad they are. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting I'm getting pretty good at that. You know, I'm I'm, I'm hoping um, my guy Norville can come through for me this weekend <laughs> against Wake. Um, so we'll see. Uh, all right, James. Well, I appreciate your time. There's a lot of other questions, but we'll save them for another time. It's uh, I gotta go cook dinner. But as always, <laughs> yeah. yeah, my man. wife's knocking on the the door, the office door, like five times now. So. <laughs> well, I appreciate your time. Everybody, go check them out at InsidePackSports.com, and uh, we'll do it again. Thanks. Yeah, let's hey, let's do it. The, let's do it. Win one of the QBs leagues. Is that a good drop off? Oh. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. We, we may it. need a real quick podcast after this basketball game tonight, guys. Yeah, I was going to say, real quick, who wins this basketball game? Does does the pack show up? Man, I, I honestly, I'm surprised they took it. But I I, I, St, I think St. Louis is really good. Um, I saw a little bit of their game, I believe it was against LSU. Um, they're, they're good. I think, I think State's going to be – I think healthy ought to pick State to win it with everybody there. But just depending on who's going to be there. You know, it's going to be a tough game, but I think it's a, it's one they want to play with all those young guys. Yeah, I agree. I, I like Keats's mentality of roll the ball out, let's play. We'll see what our team has got. He needs that before the ACC season. I think that's probably his motivation to get this game in. Oh yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right, folks, have a good one. Go pack. Go pack.